everybody. This is No Chick Flick Moments, and I am your co-host, Remy. Hi, everyone. I'm your other co-host, B. This is our Supernatural Watchcast. Welcome to Supernatural Episode 4. I can I can forget to say the season now, and it's okay, because we're just in Season 1. So it's just, it's yeah. literally Episode 4. Truly, truly. Here we are at the start with Phantom Traveler. Yes, Phantom Traveler. Hi B, how's your how's your week going? <laughs> no, yeah, I'm not going to make you answer that. You know what? It, it's just the year's almost over and the year just began. Like I don't know what time is anymore. Yeah, what? I don't even know what number of month it is. That's that sounds like it's going to take more than my single brain cell right now. I'm like starting next week, the days are going to get shorter what yep yep that's how that's how fucking far into the year we are winter is coming once again (laughs) i'm i'm using too much future sight right now let's stay in the moment let's stay present all right well here we are at the zenith of the seasons is that yeah you know that sounds right right that makes sense and the solstice (laughs) and let's get into it we're gonna cover phantom traveler this is our supernatural watch cast welcome guys um let's let's get to it this was an episode that was written by richard hatem and it was directed by robert singer this is uh both the first time that we've seen that writer and that director this uh this series so hi guys that infamous director. Robert Singer. Good old Bob. Yep. <laughs> I was thinking today, I was like, what if Kripke had just got any other executive producer? <laughs> like, just anybody else. Because then, you know, Buck Lemming would have less of a presence on the series episode 19 of season 15 that would have been vastly different i'm assuming maybe it would even reference the character who had just recently you know had a big culminating moment in episode 18 Mm, maybe yeah but but here we have robert singer as a director robert singer first episode and and i do you know Gosh, I kind of can't wait to talk about it a little bit uh, when we do get into the much later seasons of the series. But Robert Singer, uh, unlike Eric Kripke, he went, he was executive producer, he was director through the entirety of the 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 span of the show, uh, all fifteen seasons, and I. I think it's interesting when you see the narrative uh, kind of get in the influence to the narrative because of, you know, when you when you have those long term writers and, the, and directors look at those episodes and then look at maybe the uh, the set of episodes written by people who come in, who come and go uh, just mm-hmm. a, a few series, a few seasons at a time. And, uh, I don't know. I think that it's, I think that the people that have stayed for a very long time on the show, uh, for this show, uh, I think that they got kind of static in what their idea of what the show was while we I brought was just in, thinking about that. Right. When you bring in new blood, uh, they, they're, 
they're coming in injecting life right at a time when they can you know see and move forward with changes that have already you know occurred within the narrative the evolution of the show i guess i don't know yes yeah i was just thinking you know it's going to be interesting on this rewatch to see at what point um the director's styles maybe become static like you're saying like Mm -hmm. They no longer have the fresh edge. All of a sudden, you're catching these directorial tropes that go on. So I'm really interested to see um, key out his episodes in particular as we go through and just see if, you know, there's a definitive time period where it starts getting a little hokey. A little stale. Like, I'm not, I'm not trying to knock him. It's just mm-hmm. you can feel how practiced he is mm-hmm. as time goes forward. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, the the dueling directors. The <laughs> well, so here, Robert Singer, Richard Hatem. The original air date of the episode was uh, October fourth, two thousand and five, and the synopsis for this episode reads: On transnational flight. 2485, a man possessed by the spirit of the Phantom Traveler causes the plane to crash, leaving only five survivors. There were seven. Uh, Left alive. (laughs) Sam and Dean must exercise the angry spirit before it attacks the survivors. The brothers realize the only way to do that is to take the battle to the skies. Which is just wild, because once again... This episode is airing in a post-9-11 world. The security measures that are required to get onto an airplane seem to be non-existent. I'm like, when did these baby boys, like, have a valid driver's license? Like, how... (laughs) We see them go into a copy jacks and make up their own homeland security badges, and yet they have enough legal identification to get onto an airplane well they probably i don't know it could be it could be fake no i bet they i bet they're still kind of legit i i think that they're not you know wanted in all 50 states yet so i think that they're i think that they're good yeah we're getting some gray area that we can play around with like maybe they were legit or maybe yeah i don't know or or maybe (laughs) they've got a guy you know I'm just, again, they're like, how many planes have crashed in the last 10 years? How many? 40 minutes in and like no one at TSA or whatever, NTSB was like, hey, guys, we're seeing a pattern here. Oh, my God. Well, so so it's funny you say that because one of the funniest things about this episode is actually in the opening scene. Uh, where we open up in an airport, we have this man who seems very on edge, either sick Mm -hmm. or nervous, and he is, like I said, in an airport, he goes to the bathroom, he's cooling off, washing his face, trying to calm down, and he, and there is a, a, another man that's exiting the restroom, and this guy decides to stop and say, oh, you're a nervous flyer? Oh, don't worry, bud, it's gonna be okay. You, you know, what are the odds of going down in a flight anyways? <laughs> 20,000 to 1? 
And of course, the nervous flyer says, oh, yeah, thanks. <laughs> You're really good at this. Yeah, but yeah. Me, as the viewer, I'm like, 20,000 to what now? That is that a real number? That seems suspiciously like low. That seems like high odds to me. 20,000? That's a small number. That's smaller than I thought it was going to be. Oh, my God. You know what? That is inspiring me. I'm like, I'm going to go hit Google right now. 2005, 2005 odds of dying in a plane crash, 20,000 to one. Do you know how many people fly in a day? Uh, I think it's more than 20,000. Okay, statistically speaking, the odds of dying as a plane passenger are about one in 188,000, which is compared to one in 1,100 for drowning and one in 103 for a motor vehicle crash. That number, that number is way fucking higher than I would like to know. <laughs> I have less comfort knowing that number. And they're probably talking about Europe. They're crazy over there. Based on a 2017 United Census. United States Census. Oh. <laughs> oh yeah well you're in canada it's fine don't look at the oh don't... yeah sure we're we're super different eh yeah don't 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 just don't look up the canada numbers but okay a hundred and eighty thousand is different than twenty thousand okay so i was right i feel justified <laughs> i'm just looking at that one in eleven hundred for drowning and i'm like mm -hmm, dead in the water more likely than you think <laughs> hmm but yeah this nervous flyer is not at all comforted by the statistics being thrown at him. And he is starting to leave the bathroom when he is abruptly targeted by a swirling cloud of black smoke. Black, like, locust particles. Yeah, it, it, was, it was interesting. This is, it's so fun, though. This is the first time that we're seeing demon smoke. Yeah, the initial ideas they had behind it. Mm -hmm. It's it's so interesting to compare demons in this episode versus everything that comes in the 14 <laughs> years after it. Oh, yeah. I think that we see the real um, pivot on that late in season three. So, so it it's going to be it's going to be really interesting not just for demons but just for all the monsters of the week and the scale of of these weekly cases that we're going to be seeing um it, yeah demons demons are a lot different here than they will be in future yeah and i think to the end of what you're saying the more monsters of the week we see we start seeing how they really hone down and create their own internal tropes as time goes on but to start off with the first episode with demons there's no real crutches to lean against everything is new to the viewer so what they choose to tell us about demons in this episode is very interesting right yeah yeah but this guy is surrounded by this demon smoke and then it enters his his body and you see those black eyes yes and then the next that we see him is boarding a flight and um these black eyes as you mentioned startle the flight attendant they're still being called stewardesses at this time are they not called uh, that anymore no they're flight attendants okay <laughs> And it's not turbulence anymore, it's rough air. 
Hmm. The more you know. But the flight attendant, Amanda, seems a bit startled by this. And the flight takes off. The guy is super calm. And um, about 40 minutes into the flight, he asks his seatmate how long they've been flying. Then he gets up and he walks to the back door, grabbing the handle and ripping it open. The door and him get sucked out and the tail of the plane is damaged and the nose dives. So we cut on the panicked attendant grabbing for an air mask. Yeah, she's going down. Yeah. And again, post 9-11, they were pretty fucking ballsy to be like, season one, episode four, let's crash some planes. Hey, it's been four years and 20 days. And I think that they can, no. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, Rebby, do you know your country? <laughs> hmm. Hmm. Yeah, the Dixie, it, it is, uh, the Dixie chicks, you know, they, they were fighting the good fight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know. Mission accomplished banners and everything going up. Mm-hmm. Oh, the times. <laughs> but so, yeah, we're doing this. This, is, this yep. is what's happening. Yep, yep. Here we go. Um, let's cut to a dozing Dean who is sleeping stretched out on top of the covers in a motel room. And he wakes to Sam arriving at 545 in the morning. The, oh. the the shot that launched a thousand gifts. Uh, and didn't you say a math equation as well? Oh yeah, oh yeah. It, we have Tumblr. the The good good work of Tumblr has calculated the exact curvature of Jensen Ackles' booty <laughs> off of this scene. A mathematical the mathematical equation for the curvature of Jensen Ackles' booty. And again, I'm like, Robert Singer, this is a wild thing to be coming <laughs> off the hop with. You're like, here is one of our lead actors. Let's strip him down to like one layer on top, one layer on bottom, and then just do a slow pan up. Like, okay, what are you doing, Robert? <laughs> Robert! It's 2005. This is... This is, you know, Smallville. This is Vampire Diaries. This is Supernatural. We're all about the sexies. <laughs> I'm just thinking of that Reddit post. <laughs> the guy, where did all the pussy go in Supernatural? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Look, the CW was horny, okay? It was WB still at this time, baby. Have you ever WB, seen... WB, what about booty? Have you... Have you ever seen the Animaniacs? That shit's horny. Oh my god, Remy. I'm just saying. Okay, anyways, yeah. We have (laughs) the calculus of Jensen Ackles' curvature happening. Um, Sam does show up. Dean said he was up till three in the morning. He's not even sure when Sam went to sleep after that. And if this is only looking at three hours later... Um, Dean's going two and two together and saying, you know, are the nightmares still happening? Are they keeping you up? And sure enough, Sam has been having nightmares about Jess. And he says the job is just getting to him. Yeah, he he says he forgot what it was like, this job, what it does to you. And uh, and yeah, you know, at first 
Sam is doing the same thing. He's like, no, I'm fine. Uh, very cool, calm, collected. No, everything's fine. You don't have to worry about me. It's fine. But when uh, Dean probes, he he does admit that he's troubled and, and for these for these reasons, and specifically in relation to the job itself and how it it gets to it can get to you dean tries to say well you just can't let it you can't bring it home with you 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 got to leave it at the door uh and sam questions him you know what really this never gets to you what we do all this violence and and horror it never gets to you you're never afraid and dean says no No, not really. I'm a well-adjusted individual. (laughs) (laughs) And he's saying it so glibly. Like, it's coming out almost by rote as he's giving this advice to his brother. But Sam is kind of seeing the rough edges around that. You know, he's pointing out the fact that Dean, initially when he woke up, he wasn't sure it was Sam and he was pulling a blade out from under his pillow. Mm -hmm. So there's these kind of signs saying that, you know, it's not all hunky-dory in Deanville that, are you sure there's nothing that you're afraid of? And Dean makes a point to say, you know, it's not fear, it's caution. Mm -hmm. He's just being reasonable about the whole thing. I also thought that it was interesting that we're having this conversation right off of last week's episode, Dead in the Water, where Dean allowed himself to be vulnerable to the point that he confessed to the young boy, uh, Justin? (laughs) Oh, Oh, no, 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 it's Lucas. Lucas, okay. Uh, The young boy Lucas in the previous episode Mm -hmm. that... It you know it's okay to be afraid, uh, and it's okay to be afraid, but you have to be brave. And he said that every day I make the decision to be brave because it's what I think it's what my mom would want me to do. She would want me mm-hmm. to be brave. So uh, coming off of that vulnerability that we saw in in Dean, and then now him being so glib about you know I'm fearless was interesting to me. Mm-hmm. It is a very curious juxtaposition because fresh off the hop, you know, it could be that I get the impression Dean is still doing an excellent job of compartmentalizing and stuffing things down. Mm-hmm. And like, it's really practiced for him. And when we see, say, a scene like this and we compare it to how he responds to trauma later in the series... Um, it kind of goes to show that maybe the box that he's stuffing things in right now, you know, it still is able to fit all of those fears and insecurities. But as time goes on and those things compound, he starts really struggling with this thing that comes so easily to him as advice to his brother right now. Yeah, that's a very, that's a very good point. Very interesting to see how it evolves, uh when we see him real time as the series goes on, just get more and more overwhelmed by the things that he used to be able to just push down. Yeah. That the job really does start getting to him and how that shapes his personality as he goes on. Yeah. You're so smart, B. Huh? No, I'm just like, Hey, look, there's a contradiction. Backflip city. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, 
But here we have a cell phone ringing and it turns out on the other end of the line is a Jerry Panowski. He was a former victim from Pennsylvania who John and Dean helped out and he is asking for their help to come talk in person about what's going on. Yeah. Jerry, the poltergeist thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 I remember you. And fans of season eight, Amelia's storyline will also recognize him as Amelia's dad. Yep. 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 That that stunning accolade of writing. Hey, I, he I, comes I, back. I also like this. I also like this. Uh, this author, um, author actor. He's mm-hmm. he's in tons of stuff. He's like a, t- a TV guy. Yeah, he's good enough to come back twice. <laughs> So we are now in Pennsylvania. Jerry is walking them through an airplane hangar, giving appreciation for John's help in the last case. And he also drops this nugget that John spoke really highly about Sam the entire time he was with there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, hey, yeah, weren't, weren't you in school? John talked about you all the time. You know, I could tell he was real proud of you. Uh, Sam achieves whiplash (laughs) just like whipping his head around what yeah yeah I yeah that's fine it again just one of those little contradictions because it's 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 funny Uh, I it almost makes me want to know more about John as a person and how he how he operates in like a public face or or what? Because because I would say outside, even within this same season, outside of this one episode, we see nothing but like anger and disappointment and resentment from from John for the fact that uh, Sam decided to to leave the life as it is. So yeah, yeah, and like okay, take take a little trip with me. We're going down fanfic road, okay? So like. This case, imagine we have John, we have Dean, we have this Jerry guy, they're cracking up some small chat, and John is pulling out, like, card after card about how smart his youngest is, and, like, doing all the praise, like, a fatherly type way, and Dean's overhearing this, and kind of knowing that this is his dad putting on civilian charm, Mm -hmm. maybe, to, like... Because you know how um, parents, when they're out in public and they run into someone, they are chatting up. It's like, okay, we're going to do some humble bragging about what's going on with the rest of our family. And I can just see John doing this, even if there is conflict within him about the fact that, you know, Sam left. And if you leave, don't you dare come back. Like, that doesn't change the fact that he's like, my boy's smart enough to get into Stanford. Like, I'm just seeing that kind of persona at play when this information is coming out to Jerry. And it makes me wonder how comfortable Dean was listening to this, if he was even there, or was he also, you know, just putting on the social charms as this conversation played out? Yeah, that that was definitely the impression that I got, that if it John was... You know, it, it was funny to me to hear Jerry talking about John, because not just for Sam, but like, oh, you know, he's a good, like, he was a good guy. Sorry he's not here. They they really helped me out. It seemed like a really positive experience, which yeah. is 
I mean, probably my own bias to say, like, when have we ever actually witnessed a positive experience with, with John? So, yeah. or her. Like, John's really going it. for that five star rating. Like, right, exactly. So, it, it, it read to me very much as, yes, that those social airs, the public persona that um, is not at all his private um, mindset. Mindset. Or attitude, yeah. Right. And it also, unfortunately, rang as pretty, you know, red flag, uncomfortable to me, where when you do have uh, an abusive, when you do have an abusive, domestically abusive person in your life, it's their private face is very, very different than their Mm -hmm. public face. Mm hmm. Yeah, and that's, I think, what really makes me curious about how Dean responded if he was overhearing this kind of conversation. Yeah. Yeah, and it it reminded me, it also reminded me of a recent Tumblr post that I saw that was um, just something like, absolutely fascinating for John as a person and a character that each one of his three children thought that they were the least favorite. (laughs) Yeah. Like, how do you pull off that feat? (laughs) Just each one of his three children absolutely convinced they were the least favorite. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, here he is selling Sam like he's the favorite child. Jerry's bought it hook, line, and sinker. And um, yeah, he's like you said, he mentioned that he couldn't get a hold of John, but Dean evades really answering why that might be the case. Instead, they head into Jerry's office and he plays them the cockpit voice recorder from Flight 2485, um, particularly the part where they're calling Mayday and there's some hissing and growling present on the recording. Right, and it all um, accumulates into this inhuman wail. And hearing that, Jerry says, yeah, um, yeah, it seemed like it was up your alley. Yeah, something fucked up here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, the flight is reporting mechanical failure. There was only seven survivors. One of them was the pilot, Chuck Lambert, who blames himself for it. Um, Sam asked for the boarding records and access to the wreckage. And Jerry can get them the first one easy enough. But to actually get to the wreckage, no fucking way. <laughs> Right, right. The investigation is still ongoing. The um, NSHA, I think it was. I have no idea. Anyways. NTSB. <laughs> I don't know what that is either. No, no. NTSB has it shut down. So, yeah, that's that's beyond him. But, you know, Dean, Dean says, yeah, yeah, it's okay. I got it. No yeah. problem. He's a scrapper, so... Cut to copy Jack. <laughs> and I'm like, copy Jack again. We're going 90s, 2000s. Like, it's so old school. I guess I personally do not see many of these locations around anymore where you could just go in and get like a bunch of shit photocopied. I feel like it's been very privatized to like one or two companies afoot. Oh yeah, those little those storefronts that you used to see, get your copies here. Not not really a thing anymore, but that's where they've gone. Mhm. 
And we see Sam waiting outside with the Impala and Dean exits huge smile to say, ta-da, look what I made. (laughs) Yes, he's brandishing these Homeland Security badges and Sam's like, damn, that's illegal even for us. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Homeland Security. And Dean brushes us off saying, hey, you know, they look good. We're going to be fine. It's n- not something that you've seen a thousand times. So they won't even know what to look for. Yeah. And before they leave, um, Sam is discussing the EVP that he's picked up from that recording, it sounds like this voice saying no survivors, except we had seven people live on this flight, so how does that make sense? Yeah, and then somehow it takes another 20 minutes before they click the pieces into place. Yeah, that's yeah. unfair. There, Right now <laughs> there are still seven survivors, so hmm. Mm-hmm. So we do a little bit of lore drop here that there exists spirits and death omens on planes and ships. There are these types of phantom travelers, so maybe we're dealing with something like that. I'm like a haunted airplane. They choose the first survivor that they're going to go talk to, Max Jaffe. They pick him because he's local and he also checked himself into a psychiatric ward. So, hmm, seems like there's a story there. Yeah, if they want to figure out maybe what's going on, they need a witness, and Max seems like a good place to start. Mm-hmm. So they show up at the ward. They are walking outside with him. He seems very calm, and they're asking him about anything unusual on the flight, but he just does not want to talk to them about it. He says to Dean that he was delusional when he saw this man with black eyes open the back door. Like, there's no way a passenger could do that because of the pressure keeping the door shut during the flight. Right. There's, like, two tons of pressure on there. There's no way. I was just seeing things. Mm-hmm. But he says something about it being the passenger in front of him that got up and did this. So they leave and they check those boarding records and they go to that guy's, his widow's house, um, this George Phelps, who they want to see if there was anything hinky going on with him. Yeah, they're, so their working theory at the beginning coming into this was a spirit. Um, like, like the spirits that have, that have been witnessed previously haunting, uh, certain airlines or, or planes. Uh, and, and so they're asking, when they're asking Max their questions, they're talking about cold spots, weird noises, uh, stuff like that. And then when they're talking about the passenger, you know, did he flicker in and out? Did he look like a spirit basically with Mm -hmm. so many words? But Max is like, no, he was just a guy. He he was there the whole time. Yeah, there's no cues pointing to the supernatural at this point. And he had these eyes. Yes, the black eyes. So George Phelps, now this, the man that was possessed, as we saw, they're now speculating, okay, if it wasn't a spirit, then what kind of creature, what, you know, what flavor of creature could this guy be? Mm -hmm. Because, again, nothing human could open that door. 
Yes. So if we're looking for inhuman strength, um, let's go talk to the widow and find out if there's anything unusual about him. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, they find out he was terrified of flying and um, she never saw anything out of the ordinary about him besides acid reflux. If that's the kind of thing you're asking about. I'm like, this woman is way too patient with these strange men asking strange questions in her living room. Truly, these two infant men showing up and being like, hey, about your dead husband. Was he fucking weird? Yeah. Yeah. How long have you been married? And in all that time, did you notice anything strange about him? Like, yeah, get out of my house. How's that? (laughs) Yeah, truly. Like, again, the patience of a saint. Mm Mm-hmm. So there's nothing really achieved by this conversation. It still makes no sense, this investigation. So Dean suggests they get into that warehouse holding the wreckage and see what they can find out from it. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they're going for it. (laughs) Cue the black suit rentals. If we're gonna, if we're gonna do this, we gotta look the part, says Sam. And so they go out, get their men in black suits, which, I mean, come on. It's so, like Dean says, I look like a blues brother. Yeah, you do, Dean. (laughs) You look like an infant in a suit. Not (laughs) a good look. You are. Like, I'm sorry that this jacket isn't three times too large and made of leather, like. (laughs) He is not happy. Man, I hate this. This is the worst. But I'm also like, you doth protest too much because we do find how in the later seasons he has an appreciation for being well-styled and, you know, nice clothes he enjoys. So it's very interesting to see his initial repulsion to these kind of um disguises that they're putting on well i think you i think you hit the nail on the head right there he shows an appreciation for style and nice clothes not 70 dollar rentals from <laughs> a dillard's so basically you're saying his budget isn't the thing or i guess the budget is the part that he's complaining about that you know, I wish we could spring for the $600 suits and just, oh, yeah. like, own them. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, Dean Dean likes to look good. And he knows when he, and he, knows when he does. But, you know, they don't have the endless uh, credit cards that Charlie hooks them up with around season eight when, yeah. you know, money's not an option anymore, it seems like. I don't know. I don't know if they... I don't know if... um. Charlie, I always wondered about this. I wonder if Charlie hooked him up with a like a hedge fund credit card, stealing from Jeff Bezos, you know that kind of thing, or if they found like some stock of Nazi gold in the bunker and <laughs> they were just selling that, you know. I always pictured Charlie as having like some savvy algorithm that's doing that like micro trading that is just constantly accruing mm. them wealth. Yeah. Charlie. You know, just sit that server in a corner and it just makes bank for you. The gift that keeps on giving. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So our Blues brothers, they show up at the location where they flash their badges to get clearance. Um, inside the warehouse, the airplane wreckage is laid out 
and Dean wanders through with his EMF meter made out of a busted up Walkman out in hand. <laughs> what is that? Why does it look like a busted Sam. Walkman? Sam! Dean, Dean, Dean's like, he's so proud of it. He's like, yeah, I made it myself. He's so proud. He's like, yeah, it looks like that because that's what it is. Right, right. And Sam just shoots him fucking down <laughs> like a needle to the pop Dean's balloon. There. He's like, yeah, I can see that. Like the judgiest little yeah i know and then poor dean he looks so he doesn't even look offended he just looks disappointed yeah because so again like come come with me take my hand remy we're going down fanfic road okay? <laughs> okay okay so like sam is aware of what emf readers are dean is aware these are things that have been in their life before now but sam is used to something that looks more pristine and polished so like Picture them much younger and like John's going out and getting them their hunting gear or like they're tagging on as John is getting his own shit, more likely. And John like goes out and is actually like buying or trading for a legitimate EMF reader that someone else made. Mm -hmm. But then Dean's sitting there and he's like, I sure don't have that budget because dad's the one who's controlling all the funds. And so he busts up his own Walkman his own music player, and turns it into the device he needs. Aww. He's so I don't good. Know. I, just, I just think of that juxtaposition between Sam knowing what an EMF reader normally looks like, and then, like, having the fortitude to, like, critique the one that Dean is sitting here saying is homemade. Right. Like, okay, snob. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, Mr. California. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just like, the, again, the little peeks that it gives into their past, the little glimpses into what could have happened for them. I always find that interesting. I agree. And actually, through this whole episode, I actually like this episode a lot um, for the for the Dean Sam interactions in this episode. I I think that Jensen especially is very on this episode. Yes. And yes. I love it. He's bringing an energy to it that I'm just so here for. I think that they're both just feeding off of each other. They're playing off of each other and it's it's just creating this really great energy for the episode. Mhm. Yeah. Like it's not as flashy as the pilot, but it has that same sort of thread, that same sort of vibe that's carried through it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the, ele- the episode's really elevated just for the the acting and the character yeah. interactions. The, yeah, the banter, kind of. Uh-huh. Yeah. So the EMF is quiet, but it happens to chirp when he passes it over this door handle which is also coated in kind of this yellow powder or filament. Right. It is the emergency uh, door handle for the uh, emergency hatch. So this is, this is the jackpot. This is what they're looking for. Mm-hmm. 
Sam takes a sample of this yellow powder, and outside we see um, two actual Homeland Security agents arrive at the warehouse, and the attendant there puts two and two together really fucking quick, and is like, okay, the original two that came in, aka Sam and Dee, not legit. Let's throw some alarms. They charge the bunker, guns drawn. I'm like, I, I, I was torn between this is an overreaction or this is a 2005 appropriate reaction. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, again, post 9-11, I feel like you never know. They Things were kind of off the rails all the time and Man. continue all the time, but... Well, they barge in just as we see the back exit door click shut, and then we see Sam and Dean say cool. Well, just just be be cool, be cool, dude. Let's power strive. <laughs> <laughs> let's 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 walk quickly, but not too quickly. Uh, over to the fence line, but the alarms start going off, and then it's uh, okay. Let's let's walk a little faster, a little faster. Yes, let's go. Yes, yeah. And then the suits come in handy because if you throw them over top of the fence's barbed wire, you can just jump and climb over, and it's totally fine. So they fetch their suit jackets and go make a hasty retreat. Yep. So, meanwhile, we're going to cut over to the pilot, Chuck Lambert, who is looking kind of morose. He's kind of reluctant, um, but he's being gassed up by his co-pilot, who is encouraging him, you know, the best way to get over the plane crash is to get back in another plane. Yeah, just, uh, just gotta get back on the pony. Mm-hmm. And, and go ahead. And the co-pilot is trying to, you know, encourage him just get, to get back on, to get back into the groove of things, but also saying, you know, we don't have to if 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 you don't want to. But Chuck does say, no, it's best to do it now. But mm -hmm. that stress that he is experiencing opens him up to the same black smoke that we saw possess uh, George. Mm -hmm. So soon enough, that black cloud hovers over him and it's kind of making these whispery noises as it is absorbed into him. Mm-hmm. Back at Jerry's office, he apparently keeps a microscope handy and he knows what sulfur looks like under the microscope because that's what he confirms the yellow powder to be. Yeah, just take a look. Hey, yeah. he's like a he's like an aero engineer. He's he he's got background in every discipline. Yeah, he's gotta have that microscope there so he can look for tiny airplanes. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know. But he gets called out of the office, so Sam and Dean discuss demonic possessions as the possible culprit now. You know, sulfur's our big lead here. And Dean's a little perturbed by this. Um, they've never dealt with something like this before. Right. Right. It's not much would leave a sulfuric residue, but if this is a demon, this isn't uh this isn't their normal wheelhouse no 
it's a cut above their pay grade. And and we do have a quick scene with Chuck again before we really get into Sam and Dean talking about demonic lore, mm-hmm. uh, where Chuck is up in the uh, smaller plane with his co-pilot and yeah, there. Cessna. Hmm? A Cessna. A, a, a what? <laughs> a Cessna. Am my I uncle to has a Cessna. Um... I, okay, remember how I told you like my family was built houses in an airplane hangar? It was an airplane hangar for a Cessna. I, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, the more you know. The more you know. Mm-hmm. So they're up in this little plane, just the two of them, and... Chuck is just like George. He's that cool, calm, and collected. And about 40 minutes in, he asks his co-pilot, hey, how long have we been up? Oh, good. And then he knocks his co-pilot unconscious and then dives the plane. Yeah. That plane just nosedives towards the ground. And we do hear him say the same thing that George did, which is that, wow, time really does fly. Yeah. Yeah. The fact that they repeated that, I thought it was interesting. I almost wanted to, like, look up some urban legends or some, uh, some... You know, they, they speak on the Phantom Traveler. I almost wanted to look up that urban legend and and see if there was some significance to the specific turn of the specific phrase wow time Mm -hmm. really does fly yeah i felt like it was more just their way of being like okay it's the same thing like Mm -hmm. we couldn't put a big noticeable face on this black cloud but the fact that they're saying the same thing they are reacting to this 40 minute marker in the same way means Mm -hmm. that we have the same culprit behind both of these things. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, just taking a step back here and being like, okay, so we have a demon that just likes to possess people and crash planes. Well, let's get into the Lord <laughs> dump, right? Because after yes, Chuck uh, crashes the plane, we're back at the hotel uh, and we have our research hour. We have Sam who is looking up on demons. Of course, there are cultures all over the world that um, speak on demons and demonic possession. And uh, this is, this sounds like, you know, not just your run-of-the-mill possession where it is kind of singularly attacking one person. Dean makes the quip, spinning heads and barfing pea soup. You know, Mm -hmm. what you think about when you think of demonic possession. Uh, Sam is thinking that this is more like... A literal embodiment of chaos where a a demon in this sense is this embodiment of a specific uh, disaster uh, or or flavor of um, of destruction, destruction. Exactly. And that's where Dean says, you know, this is. This is not our normal thing. Demons exist only to cause doom, death, and destruction. Like, they just want to wreak havoc. And they're, 
they he doesn't really get into it too much now but we do know later like you can't kill a demon you can't yeah. do anything against a demon except yeah pray it away quite literally yeah and he's just wishing that their dad was there because it's not their normal gig which he, he feels like it's bigger than them yeah i do like i do find it funny that they're like this is not our normal gig and then it's like takes a step back looks at 15 seasons it's like mm, you're gonna get there pretty soon son <laughs> But yeah, oh, yeah, here and now, they're really selling us on the fact that, okay, yeah, we've dealt with ghosts, we've dealt with spooky water, we've dealt with monsters in the woods, but demons, like, yeah. full stop, let's consider what we're getting into here. Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, Sam is, is just kind of being the pragmatic one here, like, well, dad's not here, so... We have to figure something out. Yeah. And sure enough, Jerry calls advising that Chuck died in a downed plane by Nazareth, which Dean finds ironic. Mm-hmm. They're, yeah. We have a short, short cut where uh, they are actually driving to Nazareth to investigate the crash, but soon we're back at Jerry's office going over... Like, comparing notes between the two plane crashes. Right. Right. And the most meaningful thing out of the the two plane crashing crashes comparing the two is that they went down exactly 40 minutes in, and it's not a coincidence that Chuck was the victim here. Uh, unless yeah. this spirit was, for some reason, going after Chuck specifically, um, we, the logical conclusion here is that the, the the spirit or demon, whatever it is, it is uh going specifically after the survivors of the first crash. Yeah. There was sulfur at both sites. This hearkening to 40 minutes, which is a biblical number, 40 is. Mm -hmm. um, the EVP being like, no survivors, all of that is saying, you know, we need to take a look at who else survived the first flight because when we look at the last 10 years, there have been six plane crashes that have gone down at the 40-minute mark with no survivors. This is the first one with survivors, so we can expect there to be more carnage afoot. But they seem pretty confident that... Uh, this spirit, this demon, is uh, tied only to uh, plane crashes. This this type of chaos that it's wreaking, because in uh, because now they're cold calling all of the remaining survivors, going down the list, and they are marking off those people that aren't flying anymore you know okay these these two guys they're not going to be getting on a plane anytime soon i think they're safe for now we need mm -hmm. to focus on one particular survivor the flight attendant uh from the beginning of the episode amanda who is returning to work today and she'll be going up in the air and if this demon is sticking to its established mo she is she and her flight 
and everyone on the flight are in imminent danger. Yes, exactly. She's flying out from Indianapolis. Indianapolis? Indianapolis. Indianapolis. And so they are hauling ass. They're getting there as quick as they can. And inside the airport, Dean calls the gate number that she's flying out from. Um, Amanda answers and he tries to impersonate a doctor saying that her sister was in a minor accident, but she's not buying it because she just spoke to Karen and she was fine. And there's this little back and forth where she's accusing Dean of being a friend, it sounds like, to an ex of hers. And he is trying to play along, being like, no, baby, she wants, like, you should come back. He wants to be with you so bad. And she's like, I have to literally work. Like, whatever's (laughs) going on here, bye. Right, right. It's bad luck that Amanda was just talking to her sister, has confirmed that, you know, you know, whatever BS he's trying to sell is not going very far with her. So... Then he pivots to this fr- being a friend of Vince, uh, one of Vince's friends. And I thought that this whole exchange was so funny because he just, he immediately, he was like, he's really sorry. <laughs> just taking a <laughs> guess. And yeah, then, fingers crossed. Right, right. And then Amanda's like, no, you can tell you can tell him to just back off. And then Dean's trying trying really hard just to get her to, to just but again, he's just playing this part. Because I guess I guess from experience, he doesn't have good uh, good results with saying, look, Look, I'm sorry I lied to you, but your plane's gonna crash. You don't want to get on the plane. Yeah, you don't know me, but listen to me. It's just not going to work over a phone call. Right, right. So, (laughs) So Amanda hangs up on him, and now they are very quickly running out of options. They only have, they have less than a half hour before the plane departs. Yeah. So it's time for a plan B. They need to get on that plane and exercise the demon. And Dean is like, what? No, no, no. This is not a plan. That We can't do that. Like, he's so put off by this suggestion of getting on the plane. Right. But Sam, Sam's like, okay, I'll go get the tickets. You go get the stuff in the car. Whatever will get through security. But, you know, meet back here in five minutes. Go. Break. But Dean is just frozen in place. And Sam's yes. like, are you are you serious? What's happening? What is happening? Talk to me. I literally, like, we have five minutes. What are you doing? <laughs> and Dean's just rooted in place. Yeah. And it turns out that he's terrified of flying. It's the reason why he always drives everywhere. <laughs> it's never really come up before. Oh, I'm like, this infant. <laughs> Jen's doing an excellent job of just looking... That perfect balance of, like, baffled, scared, defensive, like, all of it is just really working. Yeah. Yeah. He, again, I think that, I think that he was just so good this app. I saw, it's funny, it's, I don't know whether to say, I saw a lot of Jensen, as I know him 15 years later, 
in this episode or if I saw a lot of Dean as I know him 15 years later in this episode. <laughs> it's one of the two or maybe both. Maybe both. Mm-hmm. But so Dean is is just um, petrified by this this prospect, which I mean, like, Dean, I'm with you. You're proposing that we get on a plane that we know is going to crash. Yeah. Do I have to? But yeah, yeah. Sam is saying, look, okay, um, I'll just go by myself. I'll go. You stay here. I'll go. And yeah, he's trying to be immediately accommodating, you know, like I, it could be a little bit like, we don't have time for me to really get in and make fun of you. (laughs) But also like Sam does care and like, okay, if you can't get on this flight, then I'll go alone. And that just seems to be something Dean can't abide by. Yeah. Yeah. I was impressed by Sam in this moment because he says, you know, no. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll go. I'll just go. Uh, but Dean doesn't want him to do that. You can't go alone, but mm-hmm. Sam, you know, we've got two options here. Either we do it together or I go, I go it alone, but there's not a third option. We have to go. And, oh man, <laughs> Dean, <laughs> Dean gives in. Yeah. He's gonna, he's gonna bite the bullet and go. Me, the viewer, um, guys, call in a bomb threat. Do something. <laughs> Don't get in this plane, please. In a post 9-11 world? I'm afraid I don't know for how you. many times I can say that this episode. <laughs> well, if they call in a bomb threat, then that I guess I guess that wouldn't be Yeah, then we wouldn't get the riveting CGI of the plane shaking in the storm this episode. Oh my god. And it gets struck by lightning and it's like, oh, that's (laughs) that cleared it, guys. I was confused on how to be an airplane and that cleared it up for me. (laughs) Oh yeah. Poor Dean. Okay, so Dean and Sam are on the plane. It's taking off. Dean looks super tense. He's humming Metallica to calm himself. Like, how did he learn that that would calm himself? Oh, oh my God! Yeah. Don't and don't do they this have thirty to me. minutes? <laughs> mm-hmm. Thirty minutes to perform an exorcism on a crowded plane, looking for someone that they don't even know. They're like, okay, who looks like they could get possessed? Oh my like, God. Yes. What an excellent category to be trying to define someone by. I know. And the working theory is that when you are emotionally compromised uh, in some way, then it's a chink in the armor that the demon can uh, exploit and it's likely to possess the most vulnerable. So, so... You know, we have a flight attendant. It's her first day black on the job. She just survived a plane crash. You know, if I was her, I'd be feeling pretty vulnerable right now. Yeah. So, okay, we're going to just go all out trying to see if it's her. And they know initially Dean is like okay we'll use some holy water and Sam's like no you have to be more subtle than that (laughs) use the Latin name for God Christo (laughs) again those little interactions Dean's like okay okay I can do this so he is going back to the back of the plane but then Sam calls him back hey wait 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 
Use the name of God. You know, she'll flinch if she's possessed. She'll flinch at the name of God. Okay, okay, yeah, okay. He starts to leave again. Sam calls him back. Hey, wait, wait, wait. In Latin, it's it's Christo. I know, dude. Come on. (laughs) I know. It is really great dynamics between them. It is. Man, I'm just like, (laughs) I'm so of Dean. Ever since they got on this plane, he's like... Sam, you said it yourself. This plane is going to crash. Like, I can't. What do you... (laughs) Yeah. Like, what do you want from me? You want me to be calm? Right. Like, Sam's like, you freaking out is just making you open to possession. And me, I was like, what a honeypot. Like, you could just do that. Like, let's find the demon by, like, having Dean freak out, get possessed, and then let's exercise him. Exactly. But... But no, they don't put each other in danger like that mm. just yet. <laughs> yeah, we don't have we don't have uh, them them putting themselves up as bait yeah. quite so readily. The martyr complex isn't quite yet cemented. There we go. That's the word. Yep. <laughs> so Dean is going back to flight to flight to talk to the flight attendant Amanda. Uh, Amanda is at the back of the plane with the drink stand, and Dean is uh, joining her under the guise of, you know, being a nervous flyer. He just wanted to stretch his legs. He's trying to strike up a conversation, take his mind off of things. Um, so, hey, how's it going? Yeah. Thinking, you know, maybe he can wheedle out some details from her. Oh, are you nervous? She's like, yeah, I am a nervous flyer, but it's a long story. Everybody's scared of something, but I'm not going to let it hold me back. And he's like, oh, well, that was a steel wall I wasn't really (laughs) anticipating. Right. Well, you ever think about getting a different job? No, no, you know, you just gotta, you just gotta keep going. Like, can't, can't let it, can't let it chain you down so hmm all right the only avenue he has left is to confuse the fuck out of this woman yeah just like drop a couple sneeze cough christos excuse me um christo (laughs) oh honey that was awkward and to no avail and this actress she's so good about like um no like am i here is this a word? What's happening? <laughs> yeah. The fuck? <laughs> yeah, just, um, sorry? What? I also love this actress. Uh, I know her from uh, The Punisher season one. I know, don't judge me for watching The Punisher, Ooh. but <laughs> she is, uh, I-, I really liked her in that series, so to see her here, I was like, hey, I know you. <laughs> <laughs> That's good to know. I wasn't aware of that. So she does not flinch at the name of God. So she is not currently possessed. Dean goes back to sit with Sam. And that woman is the most well-adjusted human being on the planet. She <laughs> she is not possessed. She's not going to be possessed. She is clear. But now they're in the unfortunate situation of the clock is ticking and it could be literally anyone on this flight mm-hmm. but the good news is that sam has found a two-part exorcism in their dad's journal 
Um, part one expels the demon, part two sends it back to hell, but in between the two, the demon is stronger for not needing a vessel in order to fuck shit up. Yes. So they, you know, if they can figure out who it's possessing, they would need to isolate him again on a crowded plane and perform a full on exorcism on the clock. So super fun. Yeah. This is going to be fine. We're going to figure it out. So Dean begins walking the aisles with his EMF reader out, but there are no blips on it. They are down to 15 minutes left. And he has a brief moment of wishful thinking that, hey, maybe it's not on this plane. (laughs) But then the EMF reader spikes when the co-pilot comes out of the bathrooms with a black eyes afoot. Yes. Yeah. So now they know who is being possessed. Unfortunately, it's the pilot and he's locked in the cockpit. How do we get him out? And short of literally hijacking this plane, what are we going to do? <laughs> in a post 9-11 world. This is, yes, this is fine. Yeah, we're fine. Um, let's go back to Amanda. Um, let's ask her for help. Let's be like, hey, remember that last flight you were on and how it crashed? Um, that's what's going to happen to this flight unless you help us. She's like, this sounds insane, but you know what I don't like to do? I don't like to be in plane crashes. So (laughs) you just want to talk to the co-pilot? Okay, I'll bring him out. Right. They don't have time for the whole, the truth is out there speech. But all you need to know is that the same thing that was wrong with flight 2485 is wrong with this flight and unless you want things to go very bad very quickly we have to talk to the co-pilot and um and that's it that's it (laughs) i was gonna say and you know it's just don't don't ask questions. Look at my very earnest face. Look at my brother. Isn't he cute? Look. Yes. Look, we're... <laughs> look at those puppy dog eyes. Just trust us. Yeah. You got you to gotta get him back here. Yeah. She's kind of like, okay, I do remember on the last plane that crashed, there was this man with black eyes. I thought I was imagining it, but if they're saying the co-pilot has this, okay, yeah, two plus two, I'll follow that. Um, with her, the convincing, um, she agrees. They hide behind the curtains in the back of the plane, prepping holy water and the exorcism. Um, and soon as the co-pilot comes through, Dean pins him to the ground, puts duct tape over the guy's mouth, and starts tossing holy water. (laughs) Real subtle. Uh, but that, but, you know, they have Amanda standing guard at the curtain on the crowded plane. While yeah, this demon is screaming. Oh. Not to mention Sam chanting, chanting. Latin. <laughs> <laughs> but you know. I and mean, then the co pilot gets free. Dean uh, is trying to pin him again. But then the demon like goes after Sam and saying how it knows all about Jess and how she died screaming and she's burning even now. Like normal pilot conversations like normal airplane Mm. i know what happened to your girlfriend and that brings sam up short because you know is this just the demon trying to stall or does he actually have information that 
I don't I haven't been able to find because I've just been chasing my own tail for the past however many months and mm-hmm. as Sam has said like the only thing that matters to him is is finding Jess's Revenge. killer. Yeah. Well, fi- fi- finding out what happened. So now to have that carrot dangled in front of him, uh, it-, it brings him up short. But I think that he realizes that it's either a lie or just um, just the demon saying, you know, trying to solve for time. And, and they can't, there's nothing that, there's nothing that, uh, you can't trust the demon. So what are you gonna do? He just continues on with the exorcism. The demon. Well, if- I, uh-huh. I just got kind of. I don't know if he necessarily thought that. Like it seemed that, like he said, like you said, he is pulled up short. But it's Dean who is calling to get back Sam's attention mm. and get him to resume the exorcism. So I think like that just. He was frozen by it. He didn't know how to take it. And it was all of that that he was trying to avoid, like the nightmares in the beginning of the episode. You know, he hasn't been sleeping in order to avoid those nightmares. So I feel like um, he wasn't maybe as resilient to this as initially thought. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. He doesn't he doesn't shake it off. Dean. Uh, brings him back to himself and to the moment. Uh, Dean is still holding down the pilot and Sam finishes the exorcism. The demon is expelled from the co-pilot and it goes into the vents. Dun, dun, dun. Mm -hmm. But before it gets away, it does kick away their father's journal and it goes sliding down the plane and yeah, the demons up in the plane's HVAC system and the plane is properly possessed now and starts plummeting. And Sam is army crawling after the journal. He's starting to read the exorcism from it again. But Dean is just freaking out in the back corner. Like the best eye acting Jensen has going on right now. He is properly panicked. Mm-hmm. just freaking out there's rough air there's people screaming there's the air lights. whipping around somehow yeah the lights flickering and then as we previously mentioned lightning strikes the plane and it regains <laughs> altitude <laughs> because sam saves the day yep that exorcism sent the demon back to hell presumably Presumably. So we regroup in the airport where they have made their emergency landing, I'm assuming. There is FBI there asking everybody about what the heck happened. And Amanda is being questioned, but she makes a point of making eye contact with Sam and Dean and mouthing thank you to them before they leave. Yep. So all we're left is the bro chat, the bro moment, where they are leaning against the Apella. They've gotten back to her somehow. Um, well, well, we went back um, when they... To the same airport? Yeah, yeah. They just turned her on the flight to return to the departing terminal. They were... 40 minutes in. Well, yeah. They probably would have landed somewhere... 
else. But um, when when they depart the flight, they're back at Gate Thirteen, which is where you know yeah. gate, gate Thirteen was where the original flight departed from. True, true. So I think that we're back in Indianapolis. We're back with um with baby and we're saying goodbye to jerry yes um dean asks if sam is okay um he's freaked out that it knew about jessica like we Mm -hmm. mentioned and dean is taking a chance taking the moment to reassure sam as you mentioned that you know demons read minds they lie that's all that that was come on which yeah i mean and and it's it's interesting because you know if if the demon i wonder if the demon really was just reading sam's fears or as we learn what actually happened with jess it is kind of demonic in origin so mm-hmm. i wonder i wonder how uh i wonder what sort of eyes are on the brothers at this point yes it's opening uh question to us about you know what's going on did this demon just root around in what was available to it or is it part of a bigger scheme Mm -hmm. yeah um like you mentioned jerry is thanking them for what they did and says that john will be real proud of them and dean kind of goes hey um how did you get my cell phone by the way like it's new it's newer than the last time that i saw you mm-hmm. and jerry mentions that um he got it by way of john's cell phone voicemail yeah yeah i could i couldn't reach john but uh he said to give you a call and yeah. and now sam and dean alone are calling john's number to verify this and sam says you know it doesn't make sense i i've i've called dad's number a thousand times it's been disconnected but now it's not anymore yeah it's it leaves them in a real kind of bind of what the heck is going on here like did he just update the voicemail or what is going on like you say like did he reconnect the number how come he's not answering if he is advertising dean's cell phone on the voicemail message right yeah they call john's number they listen to the voicemail it says you know hey this is john i can't be reached if this is an emergency call my son dean and he provides dean's number and he can help so this is the (laughs) proof of life that they've i mean to to be dramatic about it this is (laughs) this is like they have not heard from their dad at all they've been trying to reach him john knows that they've been trying to reach him and he is still just completely awol but he's still out there he's still doing whatever he's doing he just either doesn't care or is in such a bind that he is incapable of um of letting his sons know that you know or uh, of reaching out to Sam and Dean uh so yeah. i think that i think that more so than you know dad's in trouble i think that 
just looking at Sam and Dean here as they're listening to this voicemail, they are disappointed and de- and defeated. They feel like they're being abandoned, deliberately abandoned. Well, there's just too many pieces missing from this puzzle for them to really Mm. figure out what it means but yeah it doesn't point in a positive direction and Sam looks really antsy at that revelation because you know he's holding on to this thread of as soon as we find dad we'll get this figured out and then here it is like okay dad's out there but he is unreachable by us and that Mm -hmm. seems to be by his choice exactly Exactly. It's the by his choice that I read it as Sam and Dean realizing maybe in this moment. I don't know. I'm I maybe maybe I'm projecting or reaching ahead too much, but I wonder I wonder in the next episode, I think that we're gonna get some insight on how they feel about this revelation because right now mm-hmm. we're just seeing them react to the moment. Yeah. And it seems to be this real frustrated burst that's coming out of Sam in particular. Yeah. 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 They get in the car and they drive away! End of Classic. the episode. Yeah, that's how we're ending all the episodes so far. They are, yeah. <laughs> how else are we going to know that the episode's over? Yeah, and that, you know, they're wandering people. I do they like it, though. Them. We have... So many... Okay, B, did I ask you to make me sad? No, no. No? No. There there are a lot of just brief cuts in all of these early episodes that are, you know, driving the long highways. Um, yeah. That Americana hitting the road kind of vibe. Yeah. This is one yeah. of them. It's... And again, these early seasons, it's one of those defining things that they don't have a fixed point on the map that mm-hmm. they really can go, no, we're we're going to return there and we're going to recoup, we're going to relax a bit and then carry on. They're really defined by, though we have this mission, we're trying to go after it, and then it is kind of disappointing for them to see that their dad is purposely obfuscating what's going on. Yeah. 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 So we're at the end of the episode. That was it. Do you give your final takeaways? You you go first this time. Mm. What was your final takeaway be? How did you enjoy this episode? I do really like this episode. I think of it as like one of the classic uh-huh. um early episodes because there is so many great character moments. Um like making the fake IDs, getting the suits, um the homemade EMF reader, um Dean being afraid of flying. Like there's a lot of things that the fandom really was like we're grabbing onto and we are milking for all it's worth. Yes. And all of those things that help set their characters up for future episodes. Like this one it it did um Dean finding comfort in music, like going mm-hmm. after the Metallica humming to comfort himself. And again, that little sad backstory I made up for the Walkman, like I think of that tying in with the fact that 
he only listens to cassette tapes. Like, he didn't go beyond that genre because he couldn't. Like, just little things like that that are a lot of fun. So I guess the takeaway I have is just those really vintage character beats that are giving us foundation to build upon in future episodes. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. There's so much in these early episodes in this first season as a whole that we see not just the fandom, but the writers themselves uh, just keep building on. And these are the foundations. And I think that this episode uh, is definitely one of the strong ones in giving us so much material to build off of. Yeah. It really exemplifies um, the way that they're exploring these characters and getting um, an idea of what directions they can go with them. Mm-hmm. How about you? What's your takeaway? I am torn. I'm torn. Okay. So I think that my mini takeaway is that, uh, and it could just, it could have just been my mood at the time of watching it. But my mini takeaway here is that I loved this episode for Jensen's uh, portrayal of Dean this episode, the mm-hmm. way that Jensen act, acted it. Uh, I thought that Dean really came alive this episode. I would say that this episode, more than any of the previous episodes, I felt Jensen click with Dean this episode. That's true. That's true. Which I thought was fascinating to watch. Yeah. I I really like that point. Um, oh, God. I just had a thought and I lost it. One of my favorite moments from this episode was uh, when Sam and Dean are flashing their Homeland Security badges to the security uh, personnel that... Uh, at the bunker that they want to view the wreckage at. Mm-hmm. And when the security guard accepts them and, 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 and lets them go through, Dean has this little coy moment where, like, you know how Jensen does, he tilts his head a little bit, he purses his lips, he does a little smirk. Mm-hmm. It was... Yeah. it. I'm like, Jensen, you're such a baby, but you're still Jensen. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> It was it was so good to me because it's like something it, it it was something that I've seen Dean do so many times before and this was the first time I saw it and yeah, I just had this moment point. of oh, man episode four yeah you have no idea what's to come to you baby Johnson <laughs> or like yeah just that click that click that you see them experiencing as they get into these characters. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was really cute that he was so proud of his work with the Homeland Security badges. (laughs) And, like, again, that Walkman where he's like, yeah, of course it looks like that. I made it myself. Mm -hmm. And um, it's just interesting to see how easily I think Sam shuts down anything that he's not expecting about Dean. Mm -hmm. And he just does it in this kid way that... You know, he doesn't really recognize Dean as a person yet, per se. Like, this is my brother. This is the one who raised me. And he's this static figure in Sam's mind. And so 
anytime that Sam is getting these things that don't line up with his expectations, he's so flippantly kind of going, I didn't think you did that. I didn't think you did, like, and then you see Dean physically react to it and, like, that there's this emotional hurt behind it that is just really engaging. It's really, it didn't have to be there, but Jensen gave it. Yeah. And we're richer for it yeah yeah and we've seen it not just in this episode but in the previous episodes it's something that's been carrying through and every time we have sam with this like like you said almost childlike entitlement to his own idea of what dean should be and not recognizing dean as a person in his own right and yeah and uh and we see that actually affecting dean in the moment which is just one of one of those layers that adds so much yeah yeah because you know the saying the thought aloud is not inherently harmful like sam can very well say like oh i didn't think that you could do that but I think Dean has this level of insecurity yet that, you know, he doesn't have his brother back for good. Hmm. And so um, he is trying to connect. And so whenever Sam makes these little points of being like, oh, I didn't think that was you. Um, it just highlights, I think, for Dean where they aren't connecting or where there is this gap between um, who he is is and who his brother perceives him to be mm-hmm. like that they are together but he's not really understood yet and um there is this part that sam is really expecting him to play yeah yeah definitely it's it's all just it's delicious meta <laughs> to be looking at and saying like what that means for sam as a character and what that means for dean as a character it's all just fascinating it really is it yeah and and to every episode we're going to get more uh, meat on those bones so mm-hmm. it's it's really fun so far to be watching these early episodes knowing yeah, what we in- know about how everything uh, uh knowing what we know about you know the whole of their relationships both both pre and post canon yeah it's just really interesting to see what they are putting down at the beginning and then what layers they choose to build upon as the seasons go on yeah and on that my second takeaway uh would be the demon angle on canon yes yes having our introduction to demons it's very interesting to see what they kept what they threw away uh as far as demon lore goes because it is such a huge part of the series as a whole having Mm -hmm. essentially episode one of demons is uh is it was interesting to see yeah like this is a very small corner of the figure painting that they are going to do Uh figuring out the demon lore and choosing initially to pull it um 
from the Bible as well as saying there's this global influence of um, beliefs in demons in possessions and trying to bridge those two things like this global belief to this very specific Christian Bible idea. Um, they they don't always have a clear idea what they're doing, but the mess is kind of grander for it. Like it's a good complication rather than just what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> At least that's my pr- opinion on it. No, I agree. I agree. I think that here there it's just very broad strokes on what they're going to later what we know they're going to later put a point on. Yes. So it's precisely. It's interesting. Yeah. So that was season 1 episode 4 Phantom Traveler. And next week we're going to talk about season one, episode five, Bloody Mary, Bloody Mary, Bloody Mary. I'm not in front of a mirror, so it's okay. I am. <laughs> Look, it, it I probably... am so pressed right now. I can't believe you cursed me like that tonight. It probably didn't hear the. It probably didn't hear me. It's okay. I don't know. My microphone settings are always picking up that little bit. <laughs> No, no, you're fine. Just I'm fine. Yeah, you know, you'll fine. be able to lay your head down tonight without. Don't even walk me through this, Chris. <laughs> A care in the world. <laughs> mhm. The lights off. The cats outside. Yeah, you're fine. Oh my god. Yeah, I'm gonna have fucked up dreams tonight. Thank you, Remy. <laughs> Love you too, B. Love you. <laughs> Look, guys, we will see you guys next week. Thank you guys so much for listening. Please leave us a review. Subscribe on your podcasting platform of choice. Feel free to reach out to us on any of our platforms. We'd love to hear from you guys. We will see you soon. Yes. Reach out to us if you think we missed anything or if you want to elaborate on something that we talked about. Even if you want to contradict something we talked about. We love hearing everyone's opinions about this show. So yeah, like Remy said, thank you guys for making it this far and we hope you tune in next week. Yeah, and just to add on that, if you guys are re-watching with us or watching for the first time or just like hearing us talk... I want to know how you guys are are you know going along with us on this. It would be so cool to see how you guys are uh, following along with us. I'm yes. super interested. Yes, no kidding. Hmm. But yeah, um, that's it for this week. Talk see to you guys you. later. Bye. Bye.